This is Susan Marie, and we are here for the Mystical Arts of Tibet. I'm going to have someone very special introduce themselves, talk a little bit about what we're going to experience today. I'm actually the Tenzin Pandog and the translator for the, the monks from Daipung Lhaseling Monastery on the Mystical Arts of Tibet. We are having here the, one of the most uh, popular ceremony called the uh, Lama Choba or the offering to one's teachers. And uh, we really have been very, you know, the honor and happy to be here and uh, sharing one of the, our most important ceremonies. It's an honor for me being a student of Buddhism because I think it's something to be digested for a very long time. On my behalf, I have to thank you. It was interesting because I was reading about the monastery mm -hmm. and was it the first Dalai Lama created the actual monastery that you are representing today? Yeah, actually our monastery is uh, Drepung Losling Monasteries and uh, was uh, founded in 1416 in Tibet. It used to house us between nine to 10,000 you know, student monks in Tibet. Yeah. And after the Chinese invasions and occupations in 1959, so our monastery you know, forced to, you know, to close over 6,500 monasteries, temples were totally destroyed by oh the Chinese uh, Communist Party in 59, and uh, 1.2 million Tibetan people were killed in 59. And and after 59, then t including His Holiness the Dalai Lamas and uh, many other, you know, the senior monks, you know, escaped from that Holocaust and then, you know, arrived in India as a refugee and uh, got uh, granted, you know, the Indian government, you know, they granted us as a political asylum and then offer some piece of land and then the monks they you know to reestablish as a replica of you know the the original you know the monastery in southern india and we are now from that refugee monastery in southern india so every year the monastery is sending uh, the group of monks on the tour called the mystical house Wonderful. of Tibet tour and that actually the sent the monastery was uh, affiliated with the emory universities and we do have that kind of, you know, the exchanging the culture programs. Group of students from Emory universities every year they go to India to, really? see, yeah, to study about Buddhist philosophies, cultures, Tibetan cultures, and also they come back and then some monks we go to, you know, the Emory universities. Do you still have a monastery in Tibet? Or? Yeah, these days, yeah, we do have the monastery in Tibet. And not, I mean, the, having only like uh, around 200 monks in there. You know, it used to be like more than 10,000 student monks, but right now it's only 200 or 300 around. But they don't have that kind of, you know, the traditional educational systems for Buddhist philosophies. You know, normally to be a PhD in Buddhist philosophy, it takes 20 years. Really? For, you know, study programs, very traditional ones. Right now, in, in, if you go to in Tibet, you see, you know, there's no, I mean, the proper educational, you know, the programs. So that's how every year the group of, you know, monks, the young Tibetan, we are receiving, you know, fleeing from Tibet and then joining with the exile community in India like the refugee monastery in southern India. And right now, our population at the monastery is over 3,000 student monks. In the one in India? In India, in India. southern India, the re-established one. Is there significance to the color red? Actually, as for the, our robes is concerned, we wear this the red colors or the maroon one. In India, the Buddhist monks, they used to you know, wear uh, the color, the, the saffron one, the yellow one. We call the the color for the bodhicitta or the buddha mind, 
And as the Buddhism introduced in Tibet, since Tibet is uh, one of the most, the highest altitude in the world, and that's why we call you know the rub of the world. So because of that very cold weather conditions, and uh, instead of having the yellow, the very saffron color in the robes, we change as a, the maroon or the dark, the maroon color, to have you know more warm. And also the color itself symbolizes as unattractive colors at that time. Because we, as even you know, the monks and nuns are you know they wearing the unattractive colors for the non-attachment. Because the monks and nuns are they are supposed to voluntarily soldier, battling for the inner negativities, the inner enemies, which is oh. the unhealthy emotions, you know, like the attachment, right. anger, jealousies, and all those things. Oh my goodness! So that's how even our we don't keep I mean the hair longer. We shave our heads, not to attach and uh, non-attachments so So that's how you know our robes also symbolizes you know the non-attachments this is how i view it instead of holding anything in you have everything bared up right on the outside Mm -hmm. instead of having it inside i see so many tend to hold things inside i I see that more so when you look at eastern philosophy it seems that there's just something with Mm -hmm. where we have difficulty letting go Mm -hmm. buddhism is like the transformations buddhism means or we call the dharma and you know the nangche or the buddhism means the transformations the inner transformations so transforming one's the inner the ordinary way of thinking that we have that we our mind tend to have attachment tend to have that kind of anger jealousy it's all you know the following with our mind you know tend to following with those unhealthy emotions and thoughts so buddhism means making transformation within that kind of ordinary way of thoughts so inner one is the ultimate one. If you transform the inner world, the external worlds are the manifestations. Right. It starts here. Yeah. It starts here. From heart. Yes. So if you already get away from all the negativities from your heart, then external, even you know, happening, the mischievous things you know, happening externally, so it doesn't make a difference. You can keep yourself as very calm and peace within your body within your spiritual body, within your hearts. So that's how the most important thing is the inner, the inner worlds. When you were born, are you brought right into the study? How long did it take you to finally reach a spot where you were, I want to use the word enlightened. When I was nine, so I joined into the monasteries. And I actually, the born in India, because my parents, you know, fled from Tibet in 59. Oh, wow. And with all those, you know, the senior Tibetan monks or nuns or lay people, with the, you know, along with His Holiness Dalai Lamas when Chinese invaded. And since then they have been living as a refugee in India. So I was born in India, just you know, nearby the monasteries. And then I joined with the monastery when I was I mean, nine. And then since then I started to you know, study reading about Buddhist scriptures, Buddhist philosophies and all those things. Then right now I completed my master's degrees and still three more years to be a PhD. Really? Buddhist philosophies. So it's normally it takes, you know, in our monasteries, it takes 20 years to be a PhD in Buddhist philosophies. When Dalai Lama took the whole responsibility of the government of Tibet, the fifth Dalai Lama became, a, you know, not just a spiritual leader, but also the temporal, the political leader. So he took both the responsibility, the spiritual and the temporal leaders, uh, the fifth Dalai Lama. 
and the all offices and he maintained the Drebung Monastery where we're from as a resident of that fifth Dalai Lamas. And then all subsequent Dalai Lamas maintained the Drebung Monastery as a residence for preserving cultures and the giving teachings to this, you know, the present one, which is the 14th one. And yours is the main monastery. I looked at it very scholarly, like university. Yes, yeah. this is actually the Debung Monastery. Is the monastic universities actually? Got you. Okay. Debung Monastic University has a two main colleges: the Debung Lasling College and Debung Gomang College. One of the great masters called the Jayang Chuji is one of the great, in, I mean, Tibetan masters the 15th century, you know, the Tibetan masters. So he established the Drebung Monastery itself. I see where it's nestled among, in the mountains. Is it still like that? Mm, you mean in Lhasa or? I think it was yeah. in Lhasa. It was it's Lhasa is the capital city of Tibet. And the, just behind the Lhasa, there's many monasteries. Drebung is, we actually have, you know, the three main seat of the learning Buddhist philosophies, studies. Drepung Monastic Universities and the Gandhian Monastic Universities and then Sera Monastic Universities. So we are from the Drepung Monastic Universities. Those are the, actually the main kind of the seed of learning for the Buddhist, you know, the philosophies. That belongs to the Giluk traditions. And the whole Tibetan Buddhism, one could say, they are the main four traditions. Nyingma traditions and Karyu traditions and Sajja traditions and the Gilu traditions. So Gilu tradition was founded by the, one of the great uh, Tibetan Zen scholar called the Lama Tsongkhaba. So he founded that Gilu tradition in 15th century, which is the newest one amid the traditions. And there's another traditions, you know, Sajja traditions, Nyingma traditions, you know, the Karyu traditions. Within Tibetan Buddhism, you found, you know, the four main traditions. Wow. So we belong to the Gelu traditions. Gotcha. Do you find that even after almost reaching your PhD, that you're at a state that you feel that you're... I want to keep using the word enlightened, because mm -hmm. I'm looking at you. I can feel your energy. You are very enlightened. As soon as mm -hmm. I came up and walking up the steps, and as soon as I pull up to here and I get in the back, I was instantly calm. Mm -hmm. And I walk in here and I meet you and everything's it's just like everything goes away. Uh -huh. now, so that, what you possess, that energy that I'm feeling, that's, to me, that's astounding. I mean, it's very rare to come across people that are able to emanate that kind of energy. So after all of your studies, I mean, do you feel yourself that, where you have no attachments, no expectations, you know, anything uh, like that? Or do you still experience some things like that? Yeah, we do, you know, daily practices like chanting, reciting mantras, and then meditating. So those are the by methods which we can, you know, we were, we were trying to, you know, the eliminating non-virtuous actions, you know, and also try to, you know, the meditating on the positive things, like compassion, loving kindness, patience, tolerance, you know, and uh, forgiveness, and all those things. So making more familiarity with the positivities, so that there's no room for the negativities. Got you. If our mind is, you know, the completely preoccupied by the positivities, and there is no room for the negativities, because you know, the negative thing and the positive things cannot coexist right. in a single moment. Because then you feel turmoil inside. Yeah. So that's how. We, so more you make positivities and the positive things in to your mind, and the less you are having. And the unwanted things and you know pain and sufferings and all those things 
and uh, still we have to do many things because we're not we are just I'm for myself it's just ordinary monks <laughs> and still you know I many know. many things to do you know until we get the fully enlightenment I think that's what I was touching on maintain I think sometimes we're so busy here that we don't take the time out to just maintain and try to reach that inner state and that's the thing people might say oh well, I meditate or yes I do this or I do something, but maybe it's one day a week, maybe it's two days a week. And so it has to be in every single, all day long state of mind and heart and spirit mm -hmm. to keep on that level. I remember there was a, at a state, and it was, I was constantly, I was studying every single day. Mm. I have uh, these That's cards. Good. It was, oh, see, and I have to get back to it. See, I say you let things go and you forget about it. Mm -hmm. But I felt at peace because what I would do is I'd set a card out. It wouldn't confuse me, but I would just look at it, at what it said, and I'd say, well, you know, I'd think about it in the morning. Go about my day, and before I went to bed at night, I would again look at that card, and it would make sense to me then, Yeah, that's at important. Night. Yeah, that's important, actually. We normally say that, you know, when you get up early in the morning, there are two actions to be done whenever you engage in any activities. The first action is the creation of the motivations, right at the beginning. So whatever you are engaging, whatever you are engaging on, any, any, you know, any kind of activities. So if you create at the beginning the right motivations, which is totally based on the compassion, loving kindness, for the benefit of other sentient beings, then the whole action becomes very useful and the powerful and the very positive. And when you've done those actions, at the end, so you have to create thought that you, whatever you have accumulated during that day or during that actions, you have accumulated, if you have accumulated let the positivities and the all positive energies and so on and so forth, you have to dedicate those, the positivities for the benefit of other sentient beings. And then rejoicing your own positive actions. And then, then other, if you saw someone is doing also good things, and also you can rejoice for the others, you know, the positivities. So not to jealous with kind of, you know, the others' positivities. At the same time, if you have already accumulated the positive action, you can rejoice with yourself. And then the whole actions, the consequences of that whole actions would be very strong and very powerful that you are going to have in the future. When you get early in the morning, if you make try to make the right motivation the beginning moment of the, your day and then the impact of that actions will linger the whole day even at the, you know the bad time you're having that the impact if you strongly you know the cultivating the compassion or the loving kindness or you know whatever you know at the beginning that impact of that the compassion the positive things lasts for whole day even two days, three days, and the whole weeks. And then when you go to bed, then you can recollect, you know. You can see, you can just introspect, and, you know, whatever you have done. So if you have done positively, you can rejoice yourself, and uh, you can, you know, satisfy with what you have done. If you have, you know, committed kind of non-virtuous actions or so on and so forth, then you feel regret. And then take commitment right at the moment, I did with intentionally or unintentionally or you feel regret, remorse on you know your the active actions. With the presence of all deities or with the presence of Buddhas, Buddhas and the gods and you know, God is always seeing you, you know. And you can in the presence of all lords, you know, it doesn't matter. And you take commitment 
from now on I won't engage on such actions in the future. Then the whole day will be very you know, happily and then positive. Yeah. It's the best advice and, and I find sometimes it may sound silly, hard to apply in a day. And if it's yeah, simple, the, at the, at the, yeah, at the initial stage, yeah, it's very hard. That's true. It's uh, initial stage. Everyone is, you know, there's no one, I mean, who came as a perfect one, <laughs> right? From Buddhist perspective, even Buddha came in this world as our, as ourselves, has a lot of negativities, lots of things, mischievous things, you know, committed. And then by the, you know, when time, time being, you know, f- making efforts, the virtuous things and all positive things are kind of, you know, hard to find or hard to practice because our mind, the continuum of our mind has been accumulated with lots of negativities. Yes, I agree. So because of the forcefulness of that, the negativities, you just push out. Our mind just follow with those negativities without making extra efforts. As for the negativities, you just, it's kind of naturally come up, right? But it's not in nature. It's not in nature no, of our mind. That the negative is so easy like to react. But yeah. Sometimes to be yeah, positive yeah. and loving is more difficult. So because we have a, that kind of very strong, the propensity of that negativities. We have very strong imprints in our mind since our mental continuum is beginning last time. So we have been that kind of very kind of implanting the negative imprints in our minds because of the very forcefulness of that negativities. So you're always pushing up with those negativities. Unless we take extra efforts to make, you know, positive things. But if, fortunately, if it happens, but just for a moment, it's gone. So it shows us that something is wrong or as, as far as, you know, the, the propensity is concerned. So we have the more propensity with the negative things and less with the positive things. So that's how meditation is the key factors. Meditation is, is nothing, just simply making familiarity, making you know, familiarity with the positivities. More you're making familiarity with uh, positivities and less you're having the negative things. Meditation, everybody thinks it's a certain way and I found myself like even working in my garden is meditative to me. Sometimes listening to certain music. Certain, everybody has their own thing where you let go and you, there's something that works for everybody mm-hmm. to bring that, that meditative peace of mind. It's just sometimes like for instance say for me when I'm in my garden, my feet in the dirt and I'm planting things and that makes me feel so good and, and, and one like with the universe and things yeah. like that. And, yeah. But that's not an everyday thing that I do. Mm-hmm. So what would you suggest for, mm. for every day to follow something like that? Like I was doing with the cards. That's a very simple start, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, as for the initial stage, you know, whatever object, it's fine. So whichever object, if you make more uh, familiar to you, so you can choose as a, the object of the meditation first. If you are very familiar with that beautiful flowers, take as an you know, object, the meditations. And then you draw your all attentions, your, your mind focus, and then put on that objects. And then gradually you can move that object to... Those objects are very visible, right? It's easier to put right. your mind focus. Right, exactly, right? yep. And then you can move the object which is not that familiar, right? So you're in the training, which is not that familiar to your mind. Then see, you know, how it goes. Your mind focus is still, you know, staying there or go out. Or and then if you somehow you're having the freedom, the control, if you have somehow getting the control over your mind focus, then you can even move 
chooses, you know, as the object of the meditation, which is invisible, like consciousness, like right. just the mind, the general mind. And then you can put the positive minds, which is compassion and loving kindness. It's very hard to, you know, to put your mental focus because the compassions, loving kindness, those are the invisible things. Right. You can't see, you know, as the object. Right. Those are the mental state. So that's how, as for the initial stage, you just choose whichever, you know, which feels comfortable, easier to you focus. And then gradually you can move the inner world. You can choose as a, your object of the meditation as a, your inner world rather than an external one. Right. Did you want to quickly describe a little bit about what the mystical arts of Tibet is, about the ceremony that you're going to perform today? One of the most uh, important ceremonies called the Lama Chopas, and uh, which means, literally translated as a Lama means the teachers, and the Choba means offering, and the making offering to one's teachers. And it's very important to have one's own uh, making the positive relation with the one's teachers and then oneself, you know. And also one can make connections. While we're doing that, the puja lama chava, so we're making connection with the whole holy beings, the lineage of that holy beings. As, as far as, you know, Buddhism is concerned, we call, you know, the all lineage of the masters, down to, you know, up to the Buddha. So we're just recollecting the good qualities of body, speech and mind of all those, the lineage of the masters. And then how grateful to have come such the holy being in this world so that we can hear his teaching, we can listen his teaching, we can study those teachings. And thereby we can change our mind, we can transform our way of thinking, which is kind of, you know, sometimes crazy. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so that, so those are very, I mean, very grateful. If those holy beings or those, you know, the great master you know, haven't, you know, visited in this world, so we are almost nothing. Wow. Right? So those are the, like, giving us as a opportunity, the eye of wisdom, the eyes. They are giving eyes to see which is right and which is wrong, to get there. So without eyes, the wisdom eyes, one can't see, one can't differentiate right. which is right and which is bad. So that's how wonderful the lineage of the masters. So why we're doing, you know, that ceremonies. So you just simply be with your present moment and just recollecting all the positivities, things, positivities and the good qualities of all lineage of the masters, their body, speech, mind, and then the meaning of the teachings. And then in the form of meditational postures. And just try to be with the center, be in the center. Even though your physical is present here, right. our mind is like monkey. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Jumping over and there, here and there, you know. <laughs> like a monkey. If not crazy monkey. Yeah. Well, you know, it's true. Yeah. So that's how our physical is already presenting here while we're doing ceremonies. At the same time, try to draw one's attention, one's mental focus, and be with your center. So to just be still. Yeah. Be in your center means be in your your own physical, be with the present moment. Be with the present moment. You know, stopping, you know, kind of recollecting the past kind of thing. Your kind of expectations, you know, the anticipation for the futures, and then 
kind of feeling with the past experiences kind of thing. Just be with the present, what you are doing. So although there's no I one can you know the hold, this is the present moment, right? Right. We can't hold that. No. But just the normal, the conventional level, so we still you know the present it exists. But you can right? be in it. Yeah, just be. It. So that's how, and then try to make more. Positive connection with one's own teachers, one's own, you know, lineage of the masters, so and so forth. And then whatever you have practiced, so just offer your all practices to those, the lineage of the masters. So they are really fulfilled with what you have, the genuine practices. If you have, you know, the genuine, if you did very genuine practices, they're really fulfilled. If you don't, then even you're making some, you know, <laughs> the material offering is like. Making cookies and all those oh, are the. Oh, I was going to ask you about the offerings. That's what I was going to Those are the yeah. Those yeah. are the offering which is material. Got you. Okay. The ultimate offering is practices, the right. inner practices. Right. If you did the genuine practices, so those practices you can offer to the old masters, lineage of the, and they really fulfill with what you offer. If you do nothing, the inner one, and even though you are having some cookies. I think they may be laughing at you. That <laughs> <laughs> one's got a lot of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Thank and you. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Thank you.